Welcome to the Activation Podcast, brought to you by the Conscious Resistance Network. I'm your host, Derek Bros. In every episode of this podcast, we're going to explore solutions in the areas of health, permaculture, growing your own food, technology. We'll be interviewing guests who are providing important solutions that are more important than ever in this time we are living in. The Activation Podcast is focused on bringing you cutting-edge solutions to empower humanity. Hey everyone, this is Derek Bros. Welcome to episode seven of the Activation Podcast. Today I have with me Mr. James Corbett, who my longtime listeners will be familiar with. Uh, this is the first time, James, you're appearing on this kind of newer podcast I'm doing. I started this after the January Greater Reset that you were part of because maybe you know what I'm talking about. I sort of got sick of doing a weekly show that's just focused on news. And I was like, let me have some interesting conversations that touch on important topics, but maybe don't focus on the latest news of the week. So that's why I want to have you on here to just see where we can bring this. But uh, how are you doing today? I'm uh, doing all right. Actually, you know, what you just said kind of reminds me that um, the the one thing I almost, I can't say I regret, but it, it is a bit of a thorn, is that the tagline of Corporate Report has always been open source intelligence news, which I understand makes people probably believe that, th- that I see this as a news show or news uh, vehicle, but it's not, it's not about the news per se. I do cover news, but I also definitely want to look at the bigger picture. And I do, <laughs> I don't use that as some sort of limit to what I do, but anyway, yeah. Um, it's important to have that mindset because yeah, this isn't about daily day, day-to-day news. Uh, sorry. I'm totally going to hijack this conversation off the top, but it's something that's important to point out just as nine 11 was not a single day that took place at a single time and single location. It was this vast 30, 40 year story that connects into all these different players that are doing these different things for different agenda reasons. Same thing with what we're living through right now. This is not a single thing about a single little topic that you can you know, examine 15 ways from Sunday and you know everything about this. No, this is a much bigger agenda that connects out. And I think you're right. The, the, we need the media to reflect that space in this conversation as well, rather than simply following the sort of the day-to-day news cycle and chasing that, that tale. Yeah, I mean, I want I want to get your opinion on, on on that as well. As far as we talked a little bit about this last time, I want to say this. So those who've seen us on the screen before, I've been on your channel plenty of times over the years. You've been on my channel a couple of times in the last year. We've talked about exposed Bill Gates and you know different things like that. But the last time that I interviewed you, and the only time we've ever been in the same room, you know, in person, and maybe now with the way the world's going, maybe the last time for a while, um, we happened to be in Mexico at the same time of. February 2020 in Anarchapoco, and uh, I got to catch up with you and do that interview. I'll share that link for everybody, which it was, I enjoyed the conversation. It was great, of course, to get to meet you in person. And we sort of touched on this thing called coronavirus, but obviously we didn't really know what what was going to be what, but I just find it interesting. That was the last time, the first time we met. Things have changed so much. It's been a year and a half just about now since that conversation. And so there's a lot to get into, but I, I do want to spend a little bit more time. We're going to get into this podcast focus on solutions, of course, the activation. How can we activate ourselves, these kinds of ideas? So we'll have to talk about the problems a bit here. But I do want to, if you're comfortable with it, I'd like to get to know you a little bit more, man, because I feel like, I mean, I don't want to pry into the details of your life, of course, but just to more of your background that I think might be relevant to who you are as a human being. That's also like you told me in the last interview, like, Hey, we're all navigating this together. Like, you know, we're all trying to figure out how to, how to take this on. But yeah, I mean, so I I've heard you say before that you were, were you a teacher before in your past life? Yeah, that's right. I was, uh, so I came to Japan in 2004, um, specifically with a company, 
uh, called Nova that was essentially the M McDonald's of <laughs> the language teaching industry here. They had a bunch of, I mean, it's a, a, a private school where they, they you, you could book individual language lessons with the teacher essentially. And the big selling point is, hey, it's look, it's native English teachers from around the world. And so um, this was, it was a big company at the time, hundreds and hundreds of schools across Japan. They brought in thousands of teachers. Um, and I, I came with that and to be a language teacher in particular, that, that company ended up going crazy and bankrupt in a few years. But anyway, I, I then transitioned into teaching in the public schools here for a few years. And I was doing that at the time when I started the website or actually no, when I started the website, I was still at Nova, but uh, very quickly I was teaching in the public school system and I was doing that full time um, and the website part-time, but it was like having two full-time jobs really until 2011. And that was the point at which I was able to step away from the teaching and do this full-time. And so you were becoming, the corporate report was beginning and you were still teaching and that you were saying there was some crossover where you were teaching in public school at the same time. Yep. That's right. For about wow, three, three, four years. Yeah. So, I mean, up to that point, had, would you consider yourself, I mean, I know we throw this term around, but like, were you a normal person, not a conspiracy theorist prior to that? I know you've talked before about your awakening and sort of into this mm -hmm. journey, but, and when you would just came to Japan at that point and teaching, like, just, I'm just curious, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Certainly the types of things that I think about and talk about now was not, not really on my radar at that, at that point. I was fairly normie. Um, but maybe not completely normal. This is the kind of thing in retrospect, you go back and you think, well, okay, I, I never did quite fit in. And I always did have questions. And I remember, I mean, for example, here's one example. Um, uh, I, I took a temp job um, back in my hometown of Calgary. Uh, I think that was the point. So I'd come back from Dublin where I studied in Ireland for a year. And then I was going to Japan. But in that time, I was just working some temp jobs, just like data entry kind of stuff. And uh, at one of those jobs, I remember it was just mind-numbing, boring data entry kind of work. So uh, while I'm doing that, I would be, I, I, you know, just for sake of my sanity, looking at things on Wikipedia or whatever, just you know, researching stuff. And I remember, I remember being interested enough to type in oh, Illuminati. Right? I remember hearing about that. I wonder what that's about. And and that kind of thing. I was I, I, there was some kind of interest and knowing. Like I, I, for example, I never believed Oswald was a lone nut. So I always, I mean, I always knew that there was more to the story, but it wasn't, it certainly didn't define my life. It wasn't my main thing. I wasn't that interested. Really, my passion um, for a very long time was lit literature and writing. I definitely, from the time I was think, 10 years old, I wanted to be a writer and I knew it. And that was what I thought about. And that was the way I was positioning my life and my ultimate plan, go to Japan, teach English for a year, come back, find a job in the publishing industry in Canada. <laughs> well, set your sights low. You can't fail. And uh, and that and then, you know, become an editor or whatever. But ultimately, the dream was to become a novelist, to write. And that was always what I wanted to do. So this all this was basically a huge left turn completely out of left field. Who knows where this came from? But it once it hit me and then I realized at a certain point, I realized, oh, I, I just don't care so much about fiction and literature now because reality is so much crazier and so much more important. Yeah. So, I mean, do you think I, I'll say this? I can. I, it's clear to me you're writing the writing that you, you know, in your um, editorials, your scripts for your documentaries and just and the way you speak and communicate 
that you are an educated person. I don't mean just by that, that you have a degree with your name on it, but that you, you know, you're well-read and uh, you have, you have a vocabulary that you know how to use. And I think that honestly plays into your, your favor and your presentation and the reason people do take you serious, you know, not to say that everybody has to have that, you know, that approach or whatever. Sometimes somebody can just be ranting like Alex Jones with their shirt off and still can be a powerful video, you know, what have you. But I do think that, you know, from my perspective that your work is definitely uh, empowered by your, um, your past education and your work on that. And so I, I definitely appreciate that. It makes sense to me. Do you, you've talked about this in the past and I don't know where you are with it as far as announcing, but I know you were working on a book or a couple books. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm only wary of announcing it because I originally announced it in 2009 as coming soon. <laughs> 2021. All right. We're almost Still there. coming uh, soon. I, it, <laughs> All I can say is it actually is coming soon, and I really am. Uh, but essentially what this, uh, I, I've been working on it for over a decade now. But uh, to put it in perspective, this is a collection of essays um, about the New World Order and things that I've learned over the years. And it's gotten to the point where it's just ridiculous. Like, I've been working on these essays for 12 years. It's not like I've been sitting there every day, you know, writing these things. But it's just over the course of that time, as... I mean, you can imagine when I started in 2009, my my understanding, the, the, the my sort of background and everything, my experience, my was very different than 2021, right? I've I've now had another 12 years of research. So at a certain point, it becomes ridiculous, and then you think, well, now I need to write a whole new set of essays because those old ones, I mean, they don't even make sense. And I was I was a statist back when I wrote that one, you know, so it completely changed. But actually, I've come around to the point where no, I want this collection of essays to kind of be. Uh, a collection that shows the train of my thought and uh, different parts of my development and that express things. I mean, I might have done the research differently or, or gone into different aspects if I'd written that in the, in 2021 versus when I wrote it. But I think it's actually valuable as sort of signposts along the way. And interestingly enough, because it hasn't all been written, if I wrote it in 2021, I would be writing it from the perspective of 2021. And even things that weren't directly related to the biosecurity nightmare and everything, I would be sort of in a way, framing it in that context and with that in mind and and trying to get readers to understand that aspect of it. But because a lot of this was written before that, it is kind of just that general perspective that I think hopefully will be valuable at this point for the, all the people that I know, you know, are just now starting to, oh, wow, things aren't what I thought. There's a lot of those types of people. And I hope this will fill in the gaps for people. And in a way, I, I know I, I often say no one reads anymore. Uh, at any rate, a lot of people don't read anymore, but the people who do, I think, will be able to appreciate um, these essays because uh, they're bite-sized and and understandable, but they, they get into exactly all of the topics that I talk about, false flags and um, science and history and philosophy and the media perspective and all of these different topics. And uh, all I can say is it's coming soon. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think that's a good that's a good idea though to frame it in that way. I've had this idea for a similar kind of anthology of writing that I've just collected over the last 10 years and for one just for my own personal like hey, I need to collect all the articles I've written on all these websites that are getting deleted. Mm -hmm. And then I realized I don't know if anybody wants to read my articles from the last 10 years, but maybe the approach you're taking is more uh I think more palatable like you know like you said it's kind of going to be oriented around framing this topic of the new world order but obviously you've covered that in a lot of different angles so you have a lot of material to work with and i do think it's cool to for people to see 
the trajectory of your your thought you know that's what's most interesting to me like about my own work but other people's work as well to say oh wow i mean i was researching something this weekend and i pulled up a report of yours from 2012 and i was like oh, look there's james and i can hear like the way you were framing something in the past and how that's evolved to the way you're framing things now so i think that is a really good way to experience some some writing i look forward to checking that out um, so yeah, you were talking about your education, you know, we, you're in Japan now, as most of the audience will be familiar with. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about that. Have, has anything, have you noticed any difference or anything? Um, obviously COVID everything, but particularly at this moment with the Olympics, like, is that affecting yeah. your life at all? Uh, yeah, let me think about that. I, I'm trying to think if I was, if, if I didn't have any television and internet access newspapers would i even know it was happening would i have any clue of its existence the only clue of its existence would have been that last week there was a national public holiday that normally would have been on a monday i think it was c day or whatever kind of made up national public holiday they have in uh, july um but they moved that to thursday friday being a public holiday because of the start of the olympics so that other than that like there's there's nothing there's zero sign of it anywhere at, to be fair, I'm on the other side of the country. I don't, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any Olympic events taking place where I am. <laughs> Even that I'm not sure of. There might be Paralympic events or something that'll take place here. I don't know. Um, but it's zero effect on, on my life or anything that's happening identifiably in my area. Um, but I mean, just the craziness surrounding the Olympics themselves, the public being very upset that they're taking place at all because of course they're trapped in the fear narrative but again um is there's so much craziness taking place with regard to that and probably one of the most interesting takes that i read on that recently um let me cite it because i like to cite my sources um i i just saw this one about the olympics um the, the tokyo olympics are rigged to fail why hasn't the media noticed which is i mean it's a mainstream article but it goes actually some degree of deep depth into the fact that there is uh some sort of deep japanese politics at play in this that uh the new new um uh japanese prime minister who took over from abe yoshihide suga um basically jumped the line when abe stepped down and there are a number of people in his party which is essentially the perennial ruling party here in japan that are trying to stab stab him in the back so they are making sure that this Olympics fails spectacularly and that it's blamed on Suga so that they can essentially put their men in place. I mean, it's all, it's all statist politics, but it's one of the more interesting takes I've seen on what's happening because a lot of it is so baffling that clearly this is a just, it's crazy what they are doing and what they're attempting to go ahead with and a spectatorless Olympics and all of this just nonsense. Why are they pushing it so hard? And I think there may be a number of different agendas at play right now. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to look up for that article. And uh, if you send that, I'll include that in the show notes for anybody who wants to take a look at that. So, I mean, I think I did ask you, well, like I said, whenever we talked last time, it was COVID was, it wasn't a household name yet, right? It was just, hey, this thing, coronavirus is going around. Uh, but in your area, have you faced, I read something recently about J Japan starting to talk about vaccine passports. Um, I mean, obviously a lot of nations are starting to, but is any, right. are any of those types of restrictions? I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't get out much, James. Like I, I need to more. I mean, I do enjoy being outside, but I'm working a lot and I end up inside. So a lot of the things I don't notice, you know, I'm like, oh, they're, they're, they're making businesses close early because COVID's coming out now at 11 right. PM yeah. or whatever. But do you, deal with or interact with these things on a regular basis? 
Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I don't exactly go out clubbing every night or anything like that, but, um, I just go out with my family to the family stuff and that kind of stuff. Um, okay. So on the vaccine passport issue, I remember several months ago now where, uh, I can't remember which, but some minister from the Japanese government came out and said, Oh, we won't do that. That would be unfair and unfairly uh, punish the people who can't take the vaccine, let alone won't. But anyway, um, that was the official line for like a month. And then they came out and said, well, if everyone else is doing it, we'll have to do it. So so I, I don't know what the exact status of that is at this precise moment, but I think the momentum is clearly on the side of the people who are pushing for this idea. And I think the European states seem to be the uh, front line on this and the canaries in the coal mine. And if they start truly putting this in place and if it really goes ahead, as they are trying to do right now, I, I think it will be a domino effect and most countries will fall in line sooner or later. It may take months, it may take years, but I think that's where things are going unless it can be stopped right now. Unless people ju don't just say no, but hell no, and absolutely put themselves on the line for it. And it's getting harder and harder to do that. I just saw stories coming out from Australia. I can't remember which province in particular, but um, I, I the QR codes to scan to get into you know, you have to scan your QR, QR code to let the government know essentially that you ate at this restaurant or whatever, so they can contact you. And um, there was some big scandal recently because there was some outbreak of seven cases or whatever it was. Oh my God, shut down the world that um, sourced back to this curry restaurant in Sydney or wherever it was um, that a lot of people didn't check in. So now they're going to crack down even harder. So it's not just vaccine passports per se, but it's the all the infrastructure and technology that's rolling out right now and all the various programs that, of course, are eventually going to be consolidated. And as we know, it's not just about checking for medical interventions. It will absolutely be linking your digital identity and monetary um, uh, wallet and all of that in the long run. So we know where this is going, and that's really the, the end goal of this. On the other aspects of it here in Japan, one of the interesting things about this, as I noted at the time back last year when I started talking about it, and um, I noted because of the Tokyo 2020 Olympics that hadn't been postponed yet when I started talking about them, I, I was saying they're going to, oh, nothing, nothing's happening, everything's fine, they're going to go along and and at the point after they hold the games is when they'll start cracking down. And I, they have mostly maintained that. Uh, as I noted at the time, the Japanese government basically said, well, our hands are tied. Our constitution doesn't allow us to um, close businesses or anything of that sort. So, you know, what can we do? We can't do anything. Um, which is, again, technically, I mean, you could argue, well, constitutionally, the U.S. can't do this. And, uh, you know, I'm sure I'm, many places can make that argument. But only Japan was making that argument explicitly. Until earlier, I think it was earlier this year or very late last year, where they passed some new legislation which gave the prefectures the ability under state of emergency limitations to um, ask businesses to close and to enforce that with fines. Um, not They haven't done that as in like close completely, but I think eateries, they're asking them to close at eight or stop serving our alcohol at eight or whatever the magic hour that the coronavirus comes out in the places that have declared some state of emergency. Um, still, it's not, we're not on lockdowns or anything like that, but it's, the, they're starting to change the machinery of the legislation that supposedly will allow them to do whatever they want to do. So again, I, I, I think honestly, once the Olympics clears out and the media spotlight has gone elsewhere. I think that's where we'll start to see the real ramifications of this for Japan. Yeah. So, uh, 
you know, I, I guess we're gonna, we'll get into a little bit of the, the this stuff here. I want to focus on some other topics, but it's all important. And I just finished watching your talk with uh, Catherine Austin Fitz, and I do think it is important to remind people that yes, it's about the passport, but the passport is just an excuse, as folks are starting to recognize in, U- in the UK, to just track you everywhere you go, but also to decide where you can go and what you can't go- get into and all that stuff. And then our conversation last February. Again, before this was apparent, we hadn't even heard the word vaccine passport yet. We were talking about this in the context of the social credit score, and which is what I, I was just releasing my book, How to Opt Out of Technocratic State. And we were describing everything that now, not even two years later, is coming into uh, fruition. I want to share with the, uh, my screen with you and just show you this article, because this is about a week or so old. Just uh, get your thoughts on this. So this one's about Japan. It says, Japan's vaccine passports, here's what you need to know. And uh, it basically said that as of last week, you can start turning in applications for so-called vaccine passports if you've been fully inoculated, and that allows you to travel internationally to a certain destination. And um, they said it's going to be available in Japanese and English, and it helps that residents avoid travel restrictions. Right. It has your name. Yeah, this is for international travel. But yeah, so this is you just, know it's coming for home eventually. Yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be the case. Even so, I just want to show you this because yeah, it shows it. It's in span. It's in a not Spanish, in Japanese, and in English. And even just this last week, like there was uh, a two announcements where I'm at in Mexico, where there was one governor of one state who said, "Hey, we're going to start." requiring proof of vaccinations for certain you know it's like it's clubs and right whatever restaurants it's still like real places people go to and then there was one other small city so that's all that has even spoken about in mexico and there's still we're still yet to see how it's going to happen because mexico is definitely not as like high tech like japan or western europe or the u.s so there's still a lot of questions about how they're going to even implement that it'll probably be paper for a while but i'm sure china or yeah. the world economic it's funny actually that you say that because everyone thinks Japan is super high tech, but actually when you live here, you realize how ridiculous it is at times. It, everything's paper and uh, it, fax machines are still a thing here and everyone faxes things. It's really weird. Um, but even what you're showing right there, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that, that's a physical piece of paper that they're going to issue you with your details, right? That yeah, exactly. And so that's what I was saying. Like the, they said in that article that it'll start out like paper and then, you know, eventually whatever. And yeah. same thing they're saying in Mexico, it's going to start out as right. a piece of paper. And what I was going to say is Mexico, Japan may not be high tech. And maybe that's my misperception, right? Is they're just kind of assuming that, but they definitely, I would say are more of a wealthy nation than Mexico, but whether it's a nation that's, you know, second world, third world, like Mexico or someplace in Africa, all it really takes is, uh, you know, an investment from China or an investment from the World Economic Forum. And yeah. here, we're going to help upgrade all your systems yeah, so you yeah, can, yeah. you know. So we're we're really staring at this stuff, man. Like, and it does like worry me. It, have you, I mean, again, I don't think there's any, I didn't come to Mexico to run away. I don't think there's any place to run away to. I think it's going to be everywhere, maybe, or maybe there'll be some holdouts or pockets of Japan, pockets of Mexico, pockets of the U.S., but when you hear things like this, do you give any thought to like your future plans? Obviously, you have a family um, like, you know, are you like, are you committed to staying put? Or do you think that at some point in the future, you might have to make different moves? I mean, I don't want you to reveal your plan, but, you know, what, what kind of thoughts are going through your mind as a parent? And, you know, when you hear these. Yeah, things? yeah, it's a good question. But uh, cut and run does not seem like a strategy. Um, at this point, I, I, just sort of constitutionally, I don't feel I don't think that's part of who I am that I would want to just turn tail and run 
well, I can protect myself and my family, so I'm out of here. I'm out of Dodge. Maybe there are times and places for that. I don't I don't presume to tell other people what to do or what their calculus should be, but that doesn't seem like a winning strategy overall. But even specifically in this case, it really doesn't seem like a winning strategy because as you say, this is absolutely an international agenda. And um, you, there may be pockets of more or less relative freedom here or there or places where you can slip through the cracks or places that are less technologically developed so they'll be further behind on the curve. But ultimately, it is coming for everyone. And I, the, the only strategy is to resist it everywhere and everywhere we can to stand up and say no. And I think that's the ultimate winning strategy in this case. Um, in terms of myself and my family, yeah, I, of course. I think about this all the time. But as I say, it's not, I mean, like what, what, what options would I seriously be considering? Certainly not Canada. Obviously, that's definitely not an option for me. And I, I guess there are other places in Asia we could go. But again, it just doesn't seem like that. Uh, I'm trying to wrap my head around the various strategies and possibilities, but I don't see any future that doesn't involve resisting this at where it's happening at some point and carving out those spaces for resistance. Unfortunately, I, I do think it will get harder and harder to to uh, to conceive of some sort of you know wide scale or or just some ability to say no I opt out of this system and I will be in this system it will be more and more creating communities of concern who and, and probably who will try to evade certain things and dodge certain dragnets and things it will be more and more outlaw ish unfortunately but I. I see that as the momentum of this issue. And um, I think we should be open, open in our defiance about it and um, understand that that's where things are heading. So I, I, again, this is, I don't like to, I certainly don't want to presume to tell anyone what their situation be, should be, because of course there's always millions of different things, but just for me and my family, I don't, I don't think we're going to cut and run to some other country because I don't think that's productive um, for, at least for my situation. I mean, I guess like for all intents and purposes, outside of like statist denominations, you probably consider yourself Japanese at this point. I, mean, I would imagine like you've been in Japan a long yeah. time. You have a family yeah. there. You speak Japanese. You know, like you said, you, Canada doesn't look, it doesn't, from what I could, what I've seen from you, it doesn't appear like you kind of fawn over your lost home or whatever. I mean, obviously you're from there. You maybe have family and whatnot, but I, it seems like that's where you're at. So it makes sense mm -hmm. like that, you know, and, um, and yeah, and it's interesting, man, because I had decided to come to Mexico prior to COVID because I wanted to get land out here just because I'm like, well, I just don't think I can afford land in the U.S. Honestly, I was like, I think I can. I love Mexico and, you know, I'll go do that. And so that was already in my mind when around the time we were talking last prior to COVID. And then COVID just kind of made me think, you know what, I want to speed up my plans to getting to a piece of property that I can grow food on and do permaculture and these kinds of things, which are really important to me. And so COVID, you're going to be my motivation. I'm just going to speed up instead of waiting for a year or two, which was kind of my plan. But at the same time, I, um, although I don't see my path as kind of cutting and running, as you've described, I do still even, even like with the confidence of like, this is where I want to be in Mexico and I knew this was going to happen. It is very difficult to just watch and hear the crazy things happening when my family's on the other side, the people that I, most of the people that I care about are on the other side of that, yeah. uh, you know, that imaginary line. And, you know, I just, I, I keep trying to think of more ideas. Like basically I'm not giving up on the United States just yet. I want to continue to help people because I care about people there. I don't really have faith that that system can be saved or anything like that, but I do have faith in some of the people to 
get their stuff together and kind of like step up. You know what I mean? You, so I don't know, do you have any sort of aspirations or hopes for Canada in that same way, or, you know, just, I guess the world at large. It increasingly occurs to me, and I don't know if I've thought this through all the way. So this is kind of off the top of the head, but it increasingly occurs to me that it's difficult to imagine that we're going to win this fight in any particular locality without winning the fight overall. It, it, this, is, this is about the world. And until we have truly mass change in consciousness, I, I don't see a fundamental way out of this. Because even if we could undermine all of the crazy narratives about the scandemic and everything that's going on in that regard right now, even if we could flip a switch and everyone could see through the propaganda on this particular issue, I think the, the, the underlying narrative of it and the biosecurity state and, oh, well, and, you know, cash is so dirty and all of this. There's so many different sort of layers to this propaganda. And it's this entire web that's been woven around people until people start seeing the web of propaganda for what it is in all of its aspects. I don't see a situation where we're going to carve out some pocket of resistance here that's going to win this battle. Ultimately, you might or you might win a battle, but not win the war as it was, uh, as it were. I think we have to win the war rather than fight the battles. Uh, not that we shouldn't be fighting the battles. Again, it's hard to, yeah, it's hard to articulate all my different aspects of this, but on Canada specifically, no, I, I mean, I've uh, for a very long time understood that the Canadian people are pretty brainwashed and unfortunately very, very compliant with authority overall. If the government says it, it's because they love us. If the you know police are telling you to do it, you should do it kind of thing. Um, there's, a, not enough of that sort of spirit of resistance there in Canada. And it's even so it's absolutely heartbreaking and mind boggling to me to see the types of things that are going on there. The incredible draconian crackdowns, the criminalization of protest, even um, talking about, of course, we got to censor social media and regulated by the government and all of this stuff, all of the agenda items. And unfortunately, the worst part of it, I mean, again, I've been looking at this for 15 years now. It's not surprising to me that it's heading in that direction, but it's still heartbreaking to see so many people going along with it and actually desiring it. And that's the level at which this fight is taking place. It's not necessarily the political sort of thing that they're dangling in front of us. And, oh, the legislature today passed this law. Is it? No, it's that people want the legislature to pass that law. They will comply with it happily and they will enforce it on other people who aren't complying. And they'll say, hey, why aren't you doing this? That's the level at which this fight is really taking place. And in that regard, it's really, unfortunately, hard to see Canada ultimately resisting this. I'm under no delusions that Japan is going to be that much better um, in the long run. If and when the government flips the switch and says, okay, now everyone has to do this. Most people here will do that. Um, it's been a long time since we've seen, you know, protests out on the street and mass numbers protesting against the government here in Japan. That doesn't happen um, on a daily basis here. So again, um, mass consciousness changes. In a way, that's what I've always been about. But I see the absolute fundamental nature of that at this point. And as I have to keep hanging on to it because it's so easy to just give into the propaganda that we hear. Oh, you know, everyone's for this. Everyone, everyone loves what's going on. But no, you and I know because we get correspondence feedback from people on every single day. You know, thank you. I, I can't believe I, I didn't know this before. I just discovered your site. I get this all the time now. More and more people are waking up to this, but we we have to 
we have to be focusing on what people can do, which is why the activation podcasts and other things like this are so important right now, rather than just reporting on the news of the day. And here's the latest trouble. We have to be focused on what we can actually do about it. Hold that thought. Guys, before we go any further, I want to tell you a little bit about a project that I recently launched called the Holistic Self-Assessment Online Course. Now, some of you know that I released this book, The Holistic Self-Assessment, in April 2018. And essentially, this book is the culmination of the experiences I had when I went to prison, dealing with addiction, dealing with depression, and suicide attempts. This is the process that I took myself through to get to know who I am, to get to know my principles, to get to align my relationships, my words, my thoughts and actions with those principles. Overall, it's meant to be a self-empowerment, self-help guide that can help you start accomplishing your goals by aligning your principles with your actions. The book is available to download for free and I'll include that link below. But if you're interested, I did recently launch a new online course which you can find on the University of Reason, aka Autonomy. I partnered with them recently and they created this whole online course for me. It's nine weeks long. You can watch and follow along and read the book. As I go through each chapter, I read it with you and I offer some tips and some exercises. There are two different options. You can either do DIY where you just go through the nine-week course yourself or if you want to have personal one-on-one -on -one sessions with me, there's also an option for that. So check that out, guys. I'll include both links below. Let's get back to the podcast. Absolutely. And, you know, you were kind of pointing out there like the, the onion aspect of it. There's so many layers to this. And as a researcher of 15 years, myself 10 years, and maybe picking up on things even before we realized it, you start to understand that it is it is this multi-layered complex things. It's, 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 it's easy for people to dismiss and say you're a conspiracy theorist when they haven't taken the time to kind of look at these different things. But what came to mind when you were talking about that is just the overwhelming psychological nature of like this attack that we're facing. You know, it's, I think there's a spiritual one, but it really is psychological. And I don't know if you ever got to check out the, uh, this article, I put out a two-part article last year and uh, Ryan did some reporting on it, but it was on this thing called the parasite stress theory. And, you know, it's, it's just really fascinating. But going back to the 70s, there's been research on this so-called parasite stress theory. And they specifically studied uh, how humanity will react to various risks. And they studied mm -hmm. like famine, war, uh, drought, you know, thing, things like that. And they found in a number of studies that the, the threat of a parasite or pathogens, whether and they even said whether real or imagined, has a very unique um, you know, kind of reaction in humanity and that people become, they, they become more obedient, they prefer conformity and they yeah. sort of prefer rituals. And I think the masks are one example of that. And they kind of condemn those who don't participate in those same rituals. So I think that there definitely is a really a big psychological component to what we're facing. And it can be overwhelming for people who are just stumbling into what's going on. But like you said, there still are plenty of people waking up, but I want, I wanted to kind of just get your thoughts on, do you think it do you does it matter to you or does it matter in the grand scheme of things of like some people are starting to wake up to things going on right now they're waking up to maybe to covid or th this vaccine or this shot or whatever right but they still trust the other vaccines right or they still trust 911 or they still yeah. you know they they're kind of just obviously people are different points in their journey but to me I've I've tried to like hey I recognize there's new faces coming into this arena and I want to make sure they maybe look beyond just the COVID narrative. Cause like you've said before, like you were emphasizing in your interview with uh, uh, Catherine that, you know, it's the financial sector. It's the, there's so many components here. It's not just like, Hey, they're trying to push a shot on you. There's a whole thing that people, a narrative that people have to understand. And for me, it's hard to see that, you know, I think it's just important for people to understand the full scope of what we're doing. Yeah. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, mental note asterisk, please put that par parasite stress theory article in the show notes because I thought I followed your work closely. I didn't see that one, but that's uh, very interesting and speaks to, again, the psych psychological nature of the war that we're in right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, remind me of, uh, sorry, what was the actual question? <laughs> oh, I was just saying, like, do you think it, I mean, I, like, again, it's not that big of a deal, but is it, do you think it's important for, say, folks in their activism, to, you know, those who are aware of 9-11, for example, uh, or right. going back to, you know, other issues to yeah. inform the newcomers that, hey, it's yeah, not just yeah, COVID, right. it's not yeah, just yeah, this yeah. shot. Yeah. Excellent question. And it's one that I don't think there's a answer, that, a right answer to. Um, it's it's one of those things. Yeah. What's just the best use of your particular resources as a researcher, as, a, as someone who's putting this information out there at any given moment? And that's ultimately a decision that, I don't know, I, no one else can make that decision for me. I know who I am and what I think are my priorities and what I want to do. And it's interesting. I've just had a, a sort of 180 recently because going into 2021, I was thinking, of course, this is the year of the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And for years, I've been thinking about the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And, I, I, you know, years before any of this craziness broke out, I was thinking, should 2021 be a year where I spend most of the year, you know, as, do, on various aspects of 9-11? Of course, not just the day itself, but the various bigger picture items of all of that. Anyway, that was back before ev everything changed. Um, and when everything changed last year, then I was thinking, well, I mean, what's the point? I might give a little sort of a little podcast just to say, just to reflect on 20 years of 9-11 truth, but then to say, well, now obviously we're in the different paradigm, but I've done a 180 on that and I've started to come around. No, 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 no. I think, yeah, absolutely. We need to concentrate, not concentrate, but I, I, at the very least, I think I can put together something that's absolutely compelling and well-documented and that will help to inform a lot of people who, as you say, are just seeing this for the first time about the very, very important issue of 9-11. Again, not just as a single day, but as a much, much broader psyop that has been perpetrated that can teach us about what we're living through right now in the sense that, yes, they're changing over the fundamental narrative from the war of terror to the biosecurity state. But obviously, so many there's so many parallels and so many of the same sort of tact tactics and techniques are being applied that we could learn so much from what we've seen over the past couple of decades. So now I see it. No, it's very important that I do this. So spoiler alert, I shouldn't announce this. I hate announcing things early because, uh, you know, again, it's always a question of coming soon, but <laughs> coming soon, <laughs> I am working on a, uh, a larger deep dive into the, the, the broader picture of 9-11 and its historical, um, the historical machinations behind it and where it led us to in the past 20 years. And I think that is important. And I know I've actually, I mean, I'm already expecting, I know that for a lot of people, they'll be, they'll be saying, why are you concentrating on this? Look, you know, you, you look at this latest story about this particular SARS-CoV-2 thing or whatever. And, and then even the people in my audience who are inclined to go along with it will be saying, oh, why are you concentrating on all that? It was, a, it was all a lie. That's all we need to know. <laughs> so I'm always, I'm always, I guess, straddling this line. But at the end of the day, I have to just go where my research leads me and what I think, what I'm compelled to talk about. And one of the things is absolutely, there are so, there's incredibly important lessons that unless we digest and internalize and apply those lessons from the past 20 years to what we're living through right now, we're going to be lost. Those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. It's, an, it's a cliche, but it's true. And I, I think absolutely. I, I'm not, I, I would never tell you or anyone else what they should or shouldn't be concentrating on or researching or talking about. But for myself personally, I always make that calculus, not what the audience wants 
or not even necessarily what I think they need to, to, to hear or, you know, there's a million things to talk about, but what can I fruitfully bring to this conversation? And at this point, yeah, I think we need to start. Well, I need to reflect on the things that I've learned over the past couple of decades and hopefully bring that to an entirely new audience that's just switching on to this. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you there. And for one, super excited to hear about that. I was hoping that you would do something this year. And I same thing, I kind of thought earlier in the year, like, should I just be hammering 9-11 every month until the anniversary? Or, you know, years ago, I used to go when I first started activism, would go to New York City for like, you know, the big gathering, all the activists. And I think the last time there was thousands of people was 2011. And that, you know, that was when there used to be 10,000 plus people in the streets. And now I just wonder like, okay, is it worth the effort to go to New York and try to be there? Does that even matter anymore? Is it better served by like, you're talking about producing content and kind of putting information out there, but either way it does feel relevant. And I hope that those who have just recently joined the journey will, um, you know, we'll stick along for the, for the ride though. And I yeah. definitely recognize what you're saying as far and, as and, sorry, let me just interject. It's not just about um, the sort of the information of nine 11 truth. It's also, there's a meta narrative there about what happened to nine 11 truth and why nine 11 truth, let's face it failed, at least in the sense justice has not been brought for nine 11 yet. And, you know, most people have moved on and aren't thinking about it. That is a failure for what nine 11 truth really could have achieved and should have achieved and seemed like there was momentum towards achieving. How did that get derailed? And what can that teach us about what's happening right now in the research community, looking at what's happening with regards to the biosecurity state and its creation? And how are people going to get segmented and territorialized? And no, you don't believe this theory, therefore you're a shill. It's starting to head in the same direction. Can we Same old thing. Yeah, same old thing. I see the same patterns in there. Yeah, and uh, it's the the no planers and the no germers and the no you know it's a it's right there the same thing. So, yeah. lots of history. Definitely, I look forward to that. And I hope anybody who's hearing this that hasn't tumbled down the nine eleven rabbit hole will check out James's work or any of my work on that as well, and and just kind of see how it's re- re- uh, relevant to what we're dealing with now. So, I just wanted to see if you would share some advice or your thoughts on. I've heard you say this in recent couple recent conversations, and it's something that I definitely can uh, can agree with that we shouldn't get lost in only focusing on, for example, the COVID, the shot, right, or the daily like COVID lies because there's a lot of them, and you know there are people who I think do a good job of that and have chosen that path. Like you said, we're all going to have different paths, and that's fine. Like Ryan does a great job of just yeah. like dissecting the minutiae. And I mean, he's just got the wealth of evidence of the daily grinding lies that they put forward. I can't do that. I got just, it's not for me, but I'm glad that he's there doing it. And, um, and so as as with, with that in mind, like, what do you think would be, if you were to offer, you know, your humble advice to somebody who's like, Hey, look, I want to bring people into questioning COVID. What's the, what's their, you know, the Achilles heel right now? Is there like, should we focus on the big picture? Hey guys, where this is headed, it's about the Vax passports, but it's also about the money, the, you know, all this, or should we, let's talk about the PCR test. You know, what are your opinions now after a year and a half of how to attack this monster? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. A very important question. And thank you for bringing up like, for example, Ryan. Yeah, absolutely. I listened to the last American Vagabond and he absolutely breaks down on, he does the news and breaks it down and comes at it from 50 ways from Sunday. And I'm glad he's doing there doing that. He's there doing that. I'm glad uh, James Evan Pilato does his morning monarchy podcast. You know, I'm glad there are people who do concentrate on the daily news and I'm not, I wouldn't tell people not like if you are inclined to do that. And if that's what you're interested in, absolutely do it. But, you know, do it, do it well. 
you know, that that's valuable, especially to researchers like me. Yeah, I, I'm not sitting there looking at every story that comes through the newswire and and trying to drill down on every story. I, I want to look at the big picture, but I'm glad there are people who do that because that makes my job easier so that I can take that information and digest it and find this nugget over here and that nugget over there. So that's absolutely important. But yeah, um, the question was about the sort of the broader um, perspective of... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, like, what do you think is the most important angle to if somebody is trying to wake right, people yeah. up to COVID nineteen eighty four? What you know, what's a good angle? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very good question. Um, my mind goes in in several directions on this because I, it's something that I've I've often struggled with and and thought about and talked about. You know, and I get this question all the time. You know, what's how do I wake up my neighbor or whatever? I've even done questions for Corbett about it, essentially saying, I'm not going to give you that golden nugget. There's no silver bullet. Um, you're going to know that person. But to provide a, a, maybe a more satisfying answer to that, I've recently thought, um, it's kind of a funny thing to say, but um, there's actually some truth to it. Uh, I, I finally figured out why people are so angry and, and hate have so much hate towards conspiracy theorists. It's because no one likes spoilers, right? Uh, I was like, it's, it's the same thing. If the person is telling you how the movie's going to end, you get angry. Hey, don't tell me how it's going to end. I want to see it. I think that's, uh, and it's kind of a joke, but actually there may be some truth to it. No, the conspiracy theorists have been telling you exactly where all of this is going, not only during the course of these events, but for years before. I mean, again, I'm not blowing my own horn, but medical martial law and stuff. Yeah, I was talking about that in 2008. And here we are, you know, it's crazy. Oh, you're weird when I was talking about it for 13 years ago. But now it's like, yeah, of course, it has to be that way. Um, and that actually, I mean, more seriously, that really does make me think that if anything, now that I have the, the 15 years of experience of doing this and putting it out there, I should be and should have been more confident in the past about telling, saying where this is going to go. And regardless of how crazy it sounds in that moment, if you really do know your stuff and you really do see where the propaganda is trending and you really are confident about that, maybe we should be more confident about telling people where this is going because in the end, of course, that does equal credibility. And it is interesting. I think a lot of people are having this experience where they, they told people the vaccine passports are coming a year ago or whatever, and they were laughed at, and now it's coming. And some of those people, and certainly not all of them, but some of those people that you were talking to about that are at least questioning about it. And they might know, oh, you're the guy who told me about that. So uh, let me ask you about this. I think that's a good way of planting seeds within people is telling them where this is going, what this is about. And that's why I'm, I, I, I've been trying to focus my coverage on the sort of the longer term prospects of this, the 2030 sort of agenda of this, because it is, they are going to pivot. There is going to be a pivot away from this particular moment towards, again, back to the carbon, $100 trillion carbon industry, their net zero finance and all of that that they're trying to bring in, um, cashless society. All of these things are going to be further st steps towards this. And it's part of the biosecurity narrative, but it's not its not what people are looking at and thinking about right now. And it's easy to see where this is trending. And I think there's value and power in pointing that out and just telling people, just notice that they're going to start demonizing cash and they're going to say this and they're going to, that this is going to happen. And you, yeah, sure, they'll laugh at you and they'll call you crazy, 
But a year or two from now, when you are vindicated, people will know that you knew something about what you're talking about. And even in my own personal experience, actually, I think back to when I first came to Japan and in my orientation training on the first few days on the job here in Japan, I remember meeting this one guy and we went out for drinks afterwards and we were talking and he was telling me about how he converted part of his paycheck every month into gold and he was storing it in some vault in Switzerland because the, the monetary system was all rigged. And everything. <laughs> I remember at the time thinking, what, this guy is crazy. This guy is totally bats. Like what on earth? And then <laughs> just a couple of years later, I'm like, oh, that guy really knew something. I, I should have listened closer to him. But that's exactly the power of that. Planting those seeds and letting people know where it's going. That's I think that's uh, an underutilized part of this. And I myself have been guilty of not not stating clearly enough that, no, this is where things are going. And now I can reach back into the archive and I can find where I was talking about certain specific things, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years ago, that I can say, look, I told you, I told you. I didn't tell you hard enough, but I did tell you. And I think there is value in that. Yeah, I do think that we're at a point where if, uh, you know, for one, you, you and myself and others and plenty of people watching with their own research, we, we've got more than enough data at this point, like to be pretty confident in the claims and, and the things we're pointing to, right? Maybe years ago we had to say, well, no, if you go read this book, this one quote they said, plus put it together with these other pieces and, you know, you can see what they're talking about. People are like, yeah, I don't know if I see it yet, but now things are a little bit more out in the open and it does feel like I, I like I was saying earlier I've just been like brainstorming like okay I, I think we're in a really crucial moment now I need to like put more energy than I have before this is just my personal mission here like I want to really commit myself more to reaching people and trying new methods and all these kinds of things because it feels so important to be bold right now and just to like yeah I mean like yeah. of course with good information with accurate yeah. info but yeah that that feels really important I've got two more questions and I'll let you go for for the day uh this one, it touches on your conversation with Catherine, but also some of the things we've touched on here. And that is that we know that the banks, same banks, Federal Reserve that you've covered and others have covered for years are involved in pushing the cashless society, you know, schemes like universal basic income. We've seen these ideas promoted, of course, through the COVID narrative and, and will they will continue to be pushed as well. Uh, the uh, St. Louis Fed recently, the head of the Fed even said, hey, we're working on a Fed coin. Like they started using the name themselves, right? So the ideas are put out there, the central bank, digital currencies, all that stuff. With all that said, do you still have any hope, belief, um, you know, support of crypto as a technology? Or do you think at this point, like the, the space is just too co-opted or taken over? Or, you know, what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, um, I would not like to frame what I think or believe in terms of hope, <laughs> especially if for people who've seen my recent uh, uh, podcast on a brief history of opium. Um, but I get what you're saying. And um, yeah, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting in, entire phenomenon that actually probably deserves a deep dive from its inception in 2009 ish, maybe, um, uh, and how it developed. And this, the, this, it's one of those things, unless you were in the space, you wouldn't have seen and felt and understood the co-optation that went on and has fairly thoroughly co-opted the space now. And I mean, obviously so enough. I mean, of course, if you, if you want to run some sort of exchange that you are going to be the legal proprietor of and running some LLC or whatever it is, you're going to have to play by what the feds say, or they're going to come and raid you. There, you know, there's no way around it. So you, unless you're 
total outlaw doing everything anonymous and you know how are you going to do it? So I understand why there is that sort of momentum within the space who, okay, well, let's, let's get this into law and let's play by the rules. And okay, well, we'll put it on our tax forms now and all of that. But of course, of course, that is exactly counter to the ethos that at least was presented as the ethos behind what cryptocurrency is and what it meant. And which I'm, I know some of the people in the space truly believed right from the beginning and was part of the reason why the initial push of the people who were looking at this in 2009, 10, 11, 12, those people who were first getting into this when they were still absolutely crazy. Oh, digital money, what are you talking about? Those people were motivated because they saw the potential of this. And I guess the potential still always is there. Um, but yeah, it gets, it gets harder and harder the more co-opted the space in general becomes. And then you have to find particular projects that still have the ethos and what have you. But I don't, in a sense, I don't want to look at this as either a totalizing solution or the totality of the problem, or it's a tool that can be used in particular situations for particular purposes, as long as that's being done consciously and as long as you know what you're using it for. It's a tool. And it would make as much sense as taking one of the tools out of your toolbox and throwing it away because, uh, you know, wrenches. No, that's part of the new world order. I don't know. Like, no, it's a tool that can be used in certain ways for certain things. But we have to understand it is also part of the toolbox of the the, the powers that shouldn't be that are trying to control things as well. And they will use it and try to co-opt it and try to make it so your wrench will only be able to work in this particular way, et cetera. And it's the kind of thing, yeah, I mean, there's no, again, unfortunately, like so many things in life, there's no shortcut. There's not going to be any sort of magical easy button that you just, you just install it and it just works perfectly and you never think about it again and it saves the universe. It's never going to be like that. No, it's going to take research and time and effort and energy. And if you don't care enough to put in that research time and effort and energy, you probably shouldn't be involved in that toolbox at all because you won't even know what the tools are doing or how to use them. So um, like anything else, the, the right mindset, the right intention, the right use case, the right scenario, the, the knowledge and wisdom to know when and how to use a tool and when to walk away from it and all of that applies. But no one wants to hear that. No one ever, ever wants to hear that. And, and in a way, maybe that is against human nature because of course, majority of people, majority of the time are just gonna go with whatever's easiest. But we know where that leads, right? So. At a certain point, it becomes, well, I, is this going to save the world? Is everyone going to suddenly magically get in, in, interested in this and to put in the time and effort and energy to learn how to use this tool? Probably not. Does that mean that I shouldn't? That if people who can do that shouldn't be doing that? Well, I don't think so. I, I, again, people who like to put things in this sort of black and white totality category are, um, I think, creating divisions rather than helping to come to an understanding of how these things can actually be used. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. And, you know, speaking as one of the people who was there and the, I, I probably wouldn't be considered in the earliest days, but I first got paid uh, for my writing from John Bush and then Ben Swan in 2012 for some of my articles. And that was, I don't know what Bitcoin was then, but either way I had to pay rent at the time. So I was happy to get it, but I had to sell it and you know turn it into fiat in order to pay my rent. And I wish I didn't have to, but you know, at the time, you're right. The potential was there. I mean, you would go to these the beginning of the crypto conferences and just the community online, and people really did have a hope that this is about to you know, disrupt the banking system. And I do think that, like you said, maybe the potential will always sort of lay there, uh, you know, waiting for the right moment and the right people and the right projects and whatnot. But it is absolutely important for people who choose to be involved in the crypto space, um, which I 
do still dabble in a little bit to just be mindful. Like there are not all these projects are created equal. A lot of them, I would include Ethereum, Cardano, and some others are creating blockchain projects that are not going to free people, that they're partnering with the World Economic Forum or the United Nations for biometric IDs on the blockchain and, you know, stuff that just has really worrying implications. But yeah, I appreciate you sharing that, James. Um, so the last question, are you familiar with the phrase blackpilled? Have you heard this? Phrase? I, yes, but there's a, a number of different ways that people use it. So let's. Well, maybe it. I'm out of the loop, but the way I've, I guess, taken it or kind of inferred from hearing it used is people who maybe they get so woke that they're like nihilistic at that point, right? right? They're just kind of like, there's no solutions or And right, so the right. question was what was from a, a listener of both of us who said, uh, is James blackpilled or does he have any optimism about the future? You kind of answered this, but what do you, what do you think about this? Yeah. If I was truly blackpilled in that sense, uh, there's no hope. There's no solution. We're all dead. Why would I be here? Why would I be doing this? Like, what would be the point of this? I would trust me. There are, if I truly believe no hope, it's all done, whatever, who cares? Humanity's a write-off. There are a million things I would rather be doing with my time than this. I would not, if I thought, you know, like a prisoner on death, death row, you know, 10 years to live or whatever, I wouldn't be spending my time doing this. No, of course not. Of course, I believe there is something there. There's there's there. It is not set in stone. We can change this um, even not necessarily some movement or whatever, anything that you or I are doing or anything like that. But at any rate, plans can derail. They can back the, the power elite can backstab each other and things can fall apart. And who knows? It could turn out a million ways. So it would be absolute ridiculous hubris to believe that you know 100% exactly how this will turn out and there's no possible way we could. But even if I did, if I thought that, I would not be here speaking to you. So yes, of course, I believe there is the chance that this will not turn out the way that they, them, those want it to turn out and that we can make a difference in this world. We can impact this world. And, and just in case there was anyone in my, my audience or your audience who saw my podcast on Hopium, and misinterpreted that the the point of that was not there is no hope it's that we should be wary of hopium which is the synthetic oh it, it, look you can have hope in trump or whatever it is here's this thing that you can believe in and it'll be easy and just put your hope and trust in that and you'll be fine no 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 there is hope but unfortunately hope isn't just some airy fairy thing that comes magic in some bottle that you can buy for 29.99 or something no it's it's it is there yes if we work hard if we absolutely devote our time and energy and lives to this we can make a difference in the world but there's no shortcut to that and that's that's ultimately where i stand on this i certainly don't i'm not white pilled in the sense that oh we're certainly going to win there's no possibility of course not i, I don't know how this will turn out but whether that gray pill is dark gray or light gray i i don't or somewhere in between i'm not i'm not convinced either way but at any rate, there is some mixture of gray in there. James, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. And, uh, you know, I really do. I, I have a little bit of hope that we will someday get to hang out in person again and that I will get to come visit you in Japan. And because uh, I've always wanted to visit Japan and I would love to come there and uh, buy you lunch and just hang out a bit. And I, I look forward to the day that we have, um, you know, less prominent worries afoot to hang out and, and yeah. chat about life and all that good you stuff. You are welcome but, here anytime, my friend, but do not come in summer. <laughs> yeah, don't <laughs> come in summer. Okay. 
Well, I appreciate the tip. Yeah. And then if you make your way back to Mexico or North America, whatever, wherever it's at, I do believe that the, you know, not only just between the two of our minds and our intentions and hearts, but the hundreds of thousands, if definitely in the millions of people that you've reached and that collectively this movement, these movements have reached, that there is potential for us to take this in a different direction. You know, this is the decade after all, this is 2021. And we've been hearing about 2025 and 2030 for a long time. And here we are. So I think this is, uh, I don't know, I, I feel actually this, this will be the last question. I was starting to wrap up, but I meant to ask you this earlier. Do you feel like this is where you are supposed to be? Like, that's the feeling I get. Like, do you ever have that, mo- those kind of moments? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But mixed with that is kind of the question of why, like what, what is my particular role in this? And what I, I do have a feeling I should be here. And I have this platform that I've built up over the past. And I'm here right now in the, in the, what do you call it? The bird's nest at the top of the mast, you know, and here I am. Now, what, what do we do with this? What's, what's the next step here? And I'm riding through this storm with everyone else and just telling people what I see. Um, and that, that has been my role to this point, and we'll see where it goes from here. But um, yeah, I guess so. It's funny. I've, you know, that question, if you could be born in any time in history, I've always felt for some reason, some affinity with the 1930s. And it's obviously some idealized 1930s in my head. It's probably not the actual, if I had actually been born around the year 1900, I'm sure I would be working in a coal mine or, you know, doing some menial task that I, and I never would have escaped if, in my actual real reality. But for some reason, the 1930s and all the intellectual things that were happening at that time, I've always had an affinity for that. But no, at the end of the day, I was born when I was born. I am here in 2021. I have this platform, which never could have existed in any other time in human history. There's a reason for it. And I'm going to continue doing what I can do for as long as I can do it. And I can't say where it'll go. But at any rate, I'm going to be here doing what I'm doing. And thank you so much for doing what you do, brother. I do appreciate it. Everybody, this has been an interview, a conversation with James Corbett. Of course, you can find him at CorbettReport.com. I'll include the links to some of the references we made if you want to find that. And uh, I do encourage you to maybe listen to this conversation once or twice. I feel like there's some nuggets of wisdom that James dropped and just some different angles that you might not be hearing in the overall community conversation around COVID and Great Reset and everything. Uh, I wanted to have a conversation with you, James, that wasn't just focused on us just dissecting the the latest big news or even the important things that are out there, but just, you know, to get into some of the psychology and the emotions behind it. Because as we said earlier, it is a psychological attack on us. And I, I think it's important for us to check in with ourselves every now and then and like how, you know, what, what, where is our, our heads at and what we're feeling. So I appreciate you taking this time with me. And uh, anything else you want to say before we get out of here? Thank you for doing what you do. I hope people will support your work uh, if they find value in it. Um, This is how we're going to work in the future, supporting each other. So I hope people will take that in mind and take that to heart. Absolutely. All right, guys. Until next time, remember, you are powerful, you are beautiful, and you are free. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Activation Podcast, brought to you by the Conscious Resistance Network. You can find the archives of our show on Spotify, Pinecast, and at theconsciousresistance.com. 